The Modern Surrender of Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Marie. What's Wrong with the World by G. K. Chesterton. Part 3, Chapter 7 The Modern Surrender of Woman. But in this corner called England, at the end of the century, there has happened a strange and startling thing. Openly, and to all appearance, this ancestral conflict has been silently and abruptly ended. One of the two sexes has suddenly surrendered to the other. By the beginning of the twentieth century, within the last few years, the woman has, in public, surrendered to the man. She has seriously and officially owned that the man has been right all along, that the public house, or parliament, is really more important than the private house, that politics are not, as woman has always maintained, an excuse for pots of beer, but a sacred solemnity to which new female worshippers may kneel, that talkative patriots in the tavern are not only admirable, but enviable, that talk is not a waste of time, and therefore, as a consequence surely, that taverns are not a waste of money. All we men had grown used to our wives and mothers and grandmothers and great-aunts all pouring a chorus of contempt upon our hobbies of sport, drink, and party politics. And now comes Miss Pankhurst with tears in her eyes, owning that all the women were wrong and all the men were right, humbly imploring to be admitted into so much as an outer court from which she may catch a glimpse of those masculine merits which her erring sisters had so thoughtlessly scorned. Now this development naturally perturbs and even paralyzes us. Males, like females, in the course of that old fight between the public and private house, had indulged in overstatement and extravagance, feeling that they must keep up their end of the seesaw. We told our wives that Parliament had sat late on most essential business. But it never crossed our minds that our wives would believe it. We said that everyone must have a vote in the country. Similarly, our wives said that no one must have a pipe in the drawing-room. In both cases, the idea was the same. It does not matter much, but if you let those things slide, there is chaos. We said that Lord Huggins or Mr. Buggins was absolutely necessary to the country. We knew quite well that nothing is necessary to the country except that the men should be men and the women women. We knew this. We thought the women knew it even more clearly, and we thought the women would say it. Suddenly, without warning, the women have begun to say all the nonsense that we ourselves hardly believed when we said it. 
The solemnity of politics, the necessity of boats, the necessity of Huggins, the necessity of Buggins, all these flow in a pellucid stream from the lips of all the suffragette speakers. I suppose in every fight, however old, one has a vague aspiration to conquer. But we never wanted to conquer women so completely as this. We only expected that they might leave us a little more margin for our nonsense. We never expected that they would accept it seriously as sense. Therefore, I am all at sea about the existing situation. I scarcely know whether to be relieved or enraged by this substitution of the feeble platform lecture for the forcible curtain lecture. I am lost without the trenchant and candid Mrs. Caudle. I really do not know what to do with the prostrate and penitent Miss Pankhurst. This surrender of the modern woman has taken us all so much by surprise that it is desirable to pause a moment and collect our thoughts about what she is really saying. As I have already remarked, there is only one very simple answer to all this. These are not the modern women, but about one in two thousand of the modern women. This fact is important to a Democrat, but it is of very little importance to the typically modern mind. Both the characteristic modern parties believed in a government by the few. The only difference is whether it is the conservative few or the progressive few. It might be put somewhat coarsely, perhaps, by saying that one believes in any minority that is rich and the other in any minority that is mad. But in this state of things, the democratic argument obviously falls out for the moment, and we are bound to take the prominent minority merely because it is prominent. Let us eliminate altogether from our minds the thousands of women who detest this cause and the millions of women who have hardly heard of it. Let us concede that the English people itself is not and will not be for a very long time within the sphere of practical politics. Let us confine ourselves to saying that these particular women want a vote, and to asking themselves what a vote is. If we ask these ladies ourselves what a vote is, we shall get a very vague reply. It is the only question, as a rule, for which they are not prepared. For the truth is that they go mainly by precedent, by the mere fact that men have votes already. So far from being a mutinous movement, it is really a very conservative one. It is in the narrowest rut of the British Constitution. Let us take a little wider and freer sweep of thought and ask ourselves what is the ultimate point and meaning of this odd business called voting. 
End of The Modern Surrender of Woman